Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. Playoff football, Alex. It's exciting, exciting time of year. I wish the Patriots were coming into the playoffs with a little bit more momentum, with a little bit more positive energy so that we could be a little bit more positive about their hopes in this game against the Bills on Saturday night. But regardless of... If you think the Patriots are hot or not, they're definitely not. But regardless of all that, playoff football, that, that's a great thing to have back in our lives again, to watch the Patriots in a playoff game against Buffalo on Saturday night. I know that you've got to be a little bit jazzed up. I know you might be a little bit concerned about their chances in this game, but you got to be a little jazzed up that the Patriots are back in the playoffs. Yeah, I've got, I meant to bring them over here. Uh, they're on the other side of the room right now. I, I have going back to when I was in high school tradition of watching all the Patriots Super Bowl DVDs before the, the night before the first playoff game. And look, that used to be like a cool little three hour thing I did back when I was in high school, right? It was a nice little, you know, after dinner back in or, high school, please. You, you know, do that every, you do that every year. Uh, I honestly, so I honestly didn't think I used to watch them regularly, but it, I picked that up in high. I think it was, Probably my senior year of high school is when I started doing it. So that would have been no, because yeah, it was it was actually the year they lost the Super Bowl to the Giants the second time is when I started doing it. Um, anyway, it used to be a nice little three hour thing. Now it yeah. takes like seven hours, right? Because they've added a couple. Um, anyway, to that level, I'm jazzed up, and I think, and I'll start the show with this because there is a lot of concern heading into this matchup. But yeah. I and I know this is not what people want to hear today. I said this after the loss in Week 16. I said it when I was on the sports hub those couple days, and I got a lot of heat for it. But I think it is uh, important to remember: this is year one right. of a four to five year, three to four to five year window, depending on what happens with Mac Jones. And to get to this point in year one, to get to the playoffs, is as much as you can ask for. And the reality is, based on the way this team is built right now and the pieces they have. They should be better next year, right? Going from 19 to 20, they clearly got worse. And that wasn't just losing Tom Brady. Like the roster talent as a whole decreased. The roster talent increased last year, and it's going to continue to increase in the coming years they have room to add. So that's the big picture thing here is they've made it to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback with a bunch of new pieces. They won... 10 games they won as many or no they finished one game short of a team that many people hailed 
as a Super Bowl. You know, it was a Super Bowl pick. And the Buffalo Bills, they finished one game off that record. The Bills were coming in. National media had them monumentally ahead of the Patriots. A lot of people had the Dolphins as the second-best team in this division. So I think you look at that and you're happy about it. And this playoff game is certainly something to get excited about because I think it represents the future. That being said, there's a lot that's got to change for them to, 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 to pick it up and, and win this game on Saturday. There's a lot that's got to change over what they did over the last month. Okay, so I loved that lead-in because what I was going to say to start off the show fits perfectly in that. My fear about this game, more so than any of the X's and O's, any of the game plan stuff that we're going to talk about over the next hour, and we are an X's and O's analytical type of show. We're going to get into all the matchups. We're going to get into all the nitty-gritty. I don't care about all the matchups and X's and O's if the Patriots team that we have seen over the last month shows up. And my fear with this team, Alex, is what you just said that they already think their season is a success because they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback in the first year of a rebuild with Mac Jones at the helm after drafting him in the first round. And all of these things are going well. They've, they did their jobs already this year because the team that we have watched over the last month is going to be one on one and done on Saturday night, unless they flip a switch. It's that it's yeah. That plain and simple. Well, so you, I mean, you just basically just, so that's the other side of this, right? You know, I talk about this rebuild is, Hey, there's still room to grow. You just described basically the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And they get to those two titles early. They probably got a little further than they should have early and it stuck with them. You hope that's not the case for this team. You certainly do, but that would be the flip side of it is you don't want to mistake early success for the finish line. Right? right. And I think that's, that's kind of the point you're getting to is, even if they like, how do they lose this game? Like if they're competitive and they lose, okay, they're right where they should be. If they just come out and sleepwalk and then, you know, next year it's kind of the same thing. Now it's like, all right. So they just peaked way too early. Right. Like That's kind of the bigger picture thing here. Yeah. I'm just concerned. And maybe this isn't even not like it's something that they're talking about openly. Right. And saying, Oh, well, we've, we've already achieved a lot this year. If we win this game against Buffalo, it's icing on the cake. I don't think that that's the mantra in the building no. by any means. That's it, us on the outside right. describing it. But it's also human nature to think that way and to think that we have already achieved a lot for a team in the first year of this uh, Mac Jones experience with a rookie quarterback. And the team that we've watched over the last month has made a plethora of mistakes from penalties to turnovers to special team snafus to just little things that you see here and there with the team where early on in the game, for example, Dietrich wise runs off the field and Dietrich wise runs on the field. And they, they didn't even get into the right personnel grouping. And we saw a lot of these substitution issues come up a ton. Right. And I, I just feel like a lot of the sloppiness and a lot of the a lack of attention to detail shows a team that might have already peaked and might be letting go of the rope here a little bit. And if that's the case, then we can just stop the show now. Like we don't even have to talk about all these matchups and all the different ways that the Patriots combat what Buffalo did in week 16 and what they could do differently and how they replace their injured players. And we're going to get into all of that here in a second. But we can just stop the show right now. We don't even have to roll the ball out on Saturday night if the Patriots are going to play like they did over the last month, starting with how awful they've been in the first quarter. Letting teams 
just go right down the field defensively on their opening possessions and then obviously turning it over and having quick drives on offense and all of a sudden you blink your eyes and it's 14 to nothing. Like those types of things cannot happen if they're going to win this football game or even have a chance to win this football game. Yeah, Kendrick Bourne talked about it earlier today and I, I you know I think he was spot on at a certain point it's it's about the like he's he speaking is is him talking about the Patriots at a certain point it's not about what they do it's about what we do and what right. he means by that is if you're going to commit all, and he talked about the penalties right if you're going to commit all these penalties if you can't get lined up right you know day one stuff if you're going to make those mistakes really doesn't matter how the opponent plays yeah. because the Patriots aren't talented talented enough to do there's really very few teams in the history in the NFL that are talented enough to be that sloppy and still win. It's not a, it, you know, it's not a saying the Patriots aren't talented enough. No team can make the kind of mistakes the Patriots have made over the last month and have the slow starts the Patriots have made and win consistently. So yeah, yeah. It, it goes to your point where before we even get to the bills, before we even get to what the bills do and what they don't do, if the Patriots are going to come out and make these mistakes, it's not going to matter Yeah, because they're going to give the bills too many opportunities. Because in the, that last matchup, and this is what had always happened for 20 years, the Patriots didn't always play their best against the Bills, and it, it's generally true with the divisional opponent. But the Bills would just do so many stupid things between penalties, turnovers, just not knowing what's going on, right? Yeah. There, there's how many gaffes. The, the fumble in the 9 game, a Leotis McKelvin, yeah. great plays like that. You, you had Tyrod Taylor throwing blind interceptions. Uh, instances like like this, lining up poorly for field goals, and the Patriots would just make less mistakes and they'd win the game. That's what it was. The Bills are the team making less mistakes now, and the Patriots. Look, if it's if it's marginal, if it's marginal, the Patriots have a chance. We saw it in that last game. J.C. Jackson picks that ball off. We might be talking about this game being a four-five matchup in Foxborough, right? Instead of the other way around. But you know. If they can't trim that margin down, it's not going to matter. Yeah. There's two things that I thought Bill Belichick talked about in this press conference today that really stood out to me. The first one, which I, I, I mean, I think we all knew, but to hear him talk so bluntly about how much they struggled on third down against Buffalo in week 16, I thought was really interesting. Just speaking about six for 12 in that game. Yeah. How they just couldn't get off the field on critical third downs or what they were doing was, allowing Buffalo to get into fourth and one, right? You have the Allen scramble player, Allen uh, running play, I guess you can call it, between Jamie Collins and J.C. Jackson. They're not able to get him down. Fourth and two from the two-yard line, he throws a touchdown pass to Isaiah McKenzie early on in that game. If that's going to be the case and and, and they're not going to be able to get off the field and they're not going to have that specific attention to detail in those critical situations – and then you also look at the motivational factor. I'm concerned about what you said off the top of the show, which is this is all cherry on top. This is all, you know, whipped cream, right? This is all like, there's no, I'm concerned about the energy level of the team. I'm concerned about their motivation at this point in the season. And if they are truly believers in themselves at this point, or if they feel like they've achieved everything that they needed to achieve when they came into the season, See, I I, I don't think it works that way. It's not even just about beating Buffalo, though, right? Like, do you think you can go on a run? Do you believe that you could beat Buffalo in Buffalo, then Tennessee in Tennessee, and then Kansas City in Kansas City, and make us? That's what you have to have that belief. 
And I, I just don't know if this team right now has that belief. I know a lot of us don't have that belief in them. So it, it might be hard for them to manufacture it even in themselves. See, I, I don't know about that. I don't think it works that way. Cause again, we're, we're talking about on the outside, this four to five year window, but that's, that's a, you know, that, that doesn't apply to a player to player basis, right? Yeah. A guy like Devin McCourty, a guy like Dante Hightower, those guys aren't here for the four year window. How many guys on this roster really have their roster spot guaranteed beyond this year? Some of them, you feel like they'll be around. It's probably what 25, 30 players. Sure. And, you know, and then you go on two years, three years. And when does you can't just wait around and wait for the Super Bowl to come to you? I don't think Bill Belichick would let his team feel that way. From what we've heard, this seems very close. They're very close. They genuinely believe in each other. I don't think it's a buy in issue in terms of the big picture. I think the buy in issue has been when the game starts, when there's 15 minutes on the clock at the start of the first quarter, guys just kind of slow getting into it. And yeah. to me, that's not a that's not a, Hey, we've accomplished everything we need to accomplish kind of thing. Like, I don't see it that way. I see it just, I don't know what it is. I really can't qualify it. It's bizarre because that's never been who the Patriots are, but that's where the buy-in is to me. I don't think there's any sense of accomplishment in the building, especially the way the season ended. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. That's CLNS50 to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So the other thing I wanted to hit on before we get into it in the nitty gritty here is all of the injuries and COVID issues the Patriots have with Jalen Mills and looking at some of these replacements and how the Patriots are going to go about it. We're going to get to Mills in a second. I want to start on the offensive line. Now the Patriots officially listed Isaiah Wynn as questionable, even though he didn't participate in practice for the two full days of actual on-field work here this week. They're listing him as questionable with other 13 or 12 other guys as questionable. But the question that I have about this is assuming that Wynn can't go, assuming he doesn't play, are the Patriots going to put us through Justin Haran at left tackle for a playoff game? Or are they going to say, this is it. This is this is not week four against Houston or week five against Houston, excuse me, where we have a full season to go and we are not thinking about this in a one game vacuum. This is a one game prism. Like here, there's nothing else to think right. about here. So the best five is clearly Trent Brown flipping over to left tackle and Mike Onwenu playing at right tackle. And that is your best five offensive line. But we've seen in the past, the Patriots be reluctant about moving guys around from the spots they've been in all year and just saying, win out, Haran in, it's one for one. That makes things less complicated. Do you think that they're going to go that route? Or do you think that they're going to look at this and say, hey, this is a, this is a playoff game. This is a different animal. We got to have our best five guys out there. So I think, th I think they're going to stick with Justin Haran and, I, that is so for me, what it should be again is the, is the line uh, you gave with with Brown and Onwenu, and it's as simple as 
It's going to be cold. Yeah. It's going to be tough to throw the ball. If you know you're going to be run heavy, and the Patriots should be run heavy, put your two 370-pound uh, tackles on the field right. and just have them push guys back. And I think the biggest concern with Trent Brown, and he said the other day that he hasn't practiced at left tackle since OTAs, I know it's not this simple, and I know you're probably going to roll your eyes at me for this because this is so below where our show is supposed to be. But, again, Trent is 6'8", 380. Hey, Trent, that guy across from you, take him and throw him as far as he can. You that know, should be all it takes. Like, I know, again, I know it's it before, more complicated so I, than that. He, he's played the left side right. for a full he season before, so I think it's a, a little Super bit different Bowl for season. him. Right, yeah. a Super Bowl season. So yeah. I would just, you know, I just feel like put those two big guys out there, get Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson alternating in the backfield, and just run stretch. Right. Put, put you know, Jakob Johnson back there. You get Jakob Johnson around the edge, one of your 360, 370, 380-pound tackles, and just run stretch. Yeah. That's what I would do. That would be my game plan. Now, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I think it is going to be Justin Haran because, one, like you said, they like to minimize the moving pieces. And, two, I think they want that 6-0-L package yeah. with Mike Onwenu. And they still could run it, obviously, right. with Haran. But, again, that's another moving piece now. Now you have three guys out of position. Now you've moved Onwenu, you've moved Haran, and you moved Brown. So I think at least to start. At least to start, it's going to be Justin Haran. The one thing I, I wouldn't be surprised, because we've seen them do this in the playoffs before, outside of one notable game against Philly, generally when they have to make changes in the lineup for the playoffs, they go with a pretty short leash. Yeah. So I'd like to think that, you know, just based on everything they've done, what we know about them, it's going to be Haran at left tackle to start. If they get off to a slow start, maybe they can't afford a slow start. Maybe this will be too little too late. But if it's not working right away, I do like to think that they know they have that Brown on Wenu tackle combination in their back pocket, and they go to that relatively early. So I wonder, you talked about the 6-0 line package. The thing with the 6-0 line package is that they could have Justin Huron at left tackle. That's true. On Wenu on the left side as the tackle, uh, you know, the tight end eligible there. And they'll, you know, at least help out Huron on that side or do, I mean, I say that, but I'm reluctant about it because on when gave up a sack to Van Ginkle last week, playing that tight end alignment and the six Oh line package on the left side. So uh, look, the best five is the five that I said, and that's the best group. So could they put, well, so that's could sorry they to cut you off. No, 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 just one second. Could yeah. they potentially put Justin Huron at left tackle and use on when as the six Oh line, and then when they want to just go standard five-man line, they have on Wenu at right tackle and Brown at left, or is that too many moving parts, right? Like that feels like a lot of moving parts sometimes, but that might be the best way to make it work because you don't necessarily want Haran as the tight end, right? You don't really want right. him in that spot. You want on Wenu in that spot. So I do wonder if maybe Haran plays a little bit in this game as the sixth offensive lineman, but when he comes on the field as the sixth offensive lineman, he's actually lined up at left tackle, not lined up at, or lined up at right tackle or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I, you know, you talk about the best five and we, we had this conversation much earlier in the year, but it, it's, yeah, a, how many times? It, you know, it's a confliction of, of, of beliefs because we've yeah. heard two, two lines from the Patriots. And I think it's a philosophy thing. I don't know that one's better than the other, but, yeah. We've heard you don't want to start moving players around because you want continuity, right? It, you know, even yeah. if you move your starting left guard to left tackle, he's still the backup left tackle. Now you have two backups instead of one. So that's one way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is something you said is 
what do you need to do to get your best five guys on the field? Right. And they did that at times last year. Remember Joe Tooney was playing center. Right. When he probably didn't need to, but it was the way they could get their five most talented offensive linemen on the field. Sure. So which is it, right? Because we've heard both from them. And again, I think both different philosophies or different situations. I think this is a best five situation. I would, I'm not worried about moving pieces because again, Trent's played on that left side. Michael right. Lord, who has played right tackle. To me, it's put the best five out there and see what you can do. So that that's that's what I would go with. But it is interesting because we've heard both philosophies from them over the last few years. Yeah, I think the difference in philosophies is pretty much just the situation and when it is in the season. When you play right. Houston in week five, it's a lot of, you know, a bunch of guys are out due to COVID in that game. It's a much different situation than when it's a one and done, you, you will lose or you're, you know, you're going home, right? You win or go home. Much different. So I don't know. I'm with you. I, I, I would love to see a Brown at left and on Wenu at right. I think they probably go with Haran and maybe they change it up uh, midway through the game if it's an absolute problem. The one thing I will say about this Buffalo pass rush, they got some, they got some great depth. They got some good players on their front. I'm not saying it's a bad front, but it's not like they're going to line up Miles Garrett over Justin Haran in this game, right? Like it's a, right. they they have a, Greg Rousseau is a good player. Um, Hughes is a good player. Certainly Mario Addison's a good player, uh, but those guys are. It's not it's not Nick Bosa coming off the left side. It's it's not uh, it's not Garrett. It's not uh, Aaron Donald at, over a guard that's a backup, right? You know this is it's a much different uh, situation than that. So I I I, I don't necessarily right. think that they have one dominant rusher that m makes me lose sleep at night. Like, Oh, how are they going to block this guy? Right. I, I don't think it's definitely, I don't think it's quite uh, there yet uh, for Buffalo. Maybe like Aaron in, in the chat said, a guy like Ed Oliver, but is Oliver going to go play five technique? Like, is he going to go out over the tackle and rush from out there? Cause if he is, I actually think that that's fine with me, honestly, right? Like, yeah. let, let Oliver go out there because Mac will just get the ball out quickly and, and it won't be as much of a problem. I'm more worried about Oliver putting pressure on him up the middle than Not pressure coming off the edge. And in the context of this, right, we're talking about moving tackles. The, the Patriots' interior offensive line has been great all year. Yeah. So, you know, I, I Ed Oliver in, in this context, right, you're, you're talking about that, that elite edge rusher who's going to stress a backup. Right. That's what you're talking about. Is the Bills stressing a backup? That's not going to happen right. on the interior. So I, I wouldn't necessarily – not to say that Oliver's not a good player. He is. I just don't think he fits in the context of this conversation. I would more so be concerned if they play Haran or even if they – whoever they play over on the left side. I Buffalo, where they get their pass rush, where I see it a lot of the time – is simulated pressure right so they'll put three or four guys over one side like an overload and then you have to figure out post snap which two are coming and they don't exactly right. tell you which two are that communication there i would think it would be a little bit more difficult and picking up some of those uh pressure packages and necessarily blocking one of the specific guys on their roster all right another injury situation uh covid situation i should call it here with jalen mills this one, I think, has a trickle-down effect to the whole secondary. So I also want to bring up a personnel decision that I think is going to be really interesting in the secondary as well, which is what's going to happen in the slot. Because 
if I'm Dable and I'm the Bills, I don't let the Patriots off the hook with Isaiah McKenzie. McKenzie hasn't played as much the last couple weeks since that Patriots game. He only has three targets in the last two games for Buffalo, 30% of the snaps roughly. He's their fourth wide receiver. Beasley, uh, Diggs, and uh, Gabe Davis are their top three, and they don't move that around too much. But if I'm Dable, I'm going right back to the well. Like yeah. first drive of the game, I'm see- sending Isaiah McKenzie on a crosser and seeing if the Patriots can stop it. So the question is, uh, what do you do with Mills on the outside if he can't be there? Because it sounds like he's probably not going to play in this game or get cleared from protocol in time. Four day window. It's it's a tight turnaround for Jalen Mills to play on Saturday night. Not impossible, but it's tight. And what are they? Does the has D'Angelo Ross shown us enough to maybe supplant Miles Bryant inside? Because I, then you're putting Jawan outside, you're putting Miles Bryant or D'Angelo Ross inside. Th- those are some weak links. And I think the Patriots are going to play a lot more zone in this game and try to hide those guys a little bit more in the secondary than what they did in week 16. But I am curious what your thoughts are and how do they replace Jalen Mills first. And then we can talk about the slot as well. Yeah. So well, I, I, I think they're tied in because, and, I, and I'm writing about this, it'll be up tomorrow morning, 985thesportsup.com. Like, what do the Bills do in the slot? Because right. I honestly think – so you assume the Patriots want to go to Miles Bryant, right, Yeah. as, as the slot corner, but – Especially if they're going to play zone, yeah. Right. I actually think Cole Be- – Bryant can cover Beasley better than he can cover – I agree. Yeah. Because Bryant's more technique. He's more football IQ, all of that. Like, McKenzie's just faster than him. That's the problem. Yeah, right. He, he can – you could tell him what McKenzie's route is. He just can't keep up with him. Yeah. So – if the bills are going to go back to Cole Beasley, like if I'm the Patriots, I want Cole Beasley out there. Now, if they go to Isaiah McKenzie, I don't know that D'Angelo Ross can keep up with him, but we know miles Bryant can't. So then maybe you make that switch. And then, so this is where the outside corner comes in. They have to start with Juwan Williams because he's the only other outside corner on the roster right now. We and talked about to, this how many times in the training we've, camp? We've I was yelling about it. Yeah, leading into the draft that they didn't have enough corners. Oh, yeah. they got Gilmore. They got Jackson. Yeah, no, they never had. Even if Stephon Gilmore had stayed, they didn't have enough outside corners. So I feel like you have to start with him. I, I don't feel great about it. No. I don't feel great about it. I don't know how you can. Okay. So. And again, it's the playoffs. These guys have to have a quick leash. Well, where do you go from there? And there's no great option. But if we lay them out, right, if we take a look, and I just want to pull the roster up here to make sure I don't miss anybody. But if you lay out the options, I think after Juwan Williams, um, your best option might be to move Devin McCourty up. Oh, gosh. And I know that's not what anybody wants to do. But you've they've done it in the past. They haven't done it in a long time. But when they really need an outside corner, because remember, Dev McCourty was originally a corner, they fold him up to be that second outside corner. Now, you're getting really into potential snowballing here because well, what if Kyle Duggar can't play? Right. Now you're down two safeties instead of one. So I that's probably their best option on paper, just like in a bubble. But I don't know how realistic it is to pull Devin McCourty up. All right, so what's next? Well, Miles Bryant was an outside corner in college. Right? no. He's been playing the slot in safety in the NFL. No, but Gabe Davis is a big he, guy. He has the technique. So, right. So that's that's why Miles no. Bryant moved inside. He's fine. Right. Okay. So I know you're knowing. I'm just I'm giving you the options. I'm giving you the options. All these okay. options stink. Please give me so, a good option. So you're not moving Devin McCourty up. You're not moving Miles Bryant. I guess actually no. what should have been the top option after Juwan Williams, you can put Justin Bethel out there. That's 
he's played outside corner a little bit this year. Yeah. He looked good in camp. They they've said they want him to do it more than he has. He's on the bigger side. And then after that, I mean, now you're talking about DJ Daniel, who's who you're elevating from the practice squad, who's never played an NFL game. Or Crave on the block, who just right. got here this week. Yeah. So those those are your options. It's Bethel, McCourty, Bryant, practice squad guys who have never played a game for the Patriots. Like those are your options after Juwan Williams. I'd probably go Bethel. If Duggar plays, yeah. I wouldn't hate seeing what you can do with them, McCourty. Because the other thing about that is that's a new wrinkle. That's something Josh Allen hasn't seen. So maybe you can get in his head a little bit with that. Maybe confuse him a little bit. Because McCourty is a guy, one of the guys I would assume he's identifying pre-snap on a regular basis, right? So if all of a sudden Dev McCourty's all the way out here on the boundary, maybe you throw off his reads. Um, so I would, I, you know, I think Bethel's the guy after Williams. I don't hate the McCourty one. I don't love it. I don't hate it. And then, yeah, you're really kind of reaching after that. Yeah. I thought the, the best option is, is definitely just Juwan Williams. Like he he's the most comfortable playing out there. I think number two or the emergency plan is Justin Bethel. That gives me big time Johnson Batamosi vibes, which I don't like, but that's right. sort of how I feel about Justin Bethel at this point is he's probably option number two if they can't go that direction, this is an awful, awful, awful game to be short at corner. Like just yeah. the worst possible matchup that you could have besides maybe Kansas city or Cincinnati, but like really the bills are three wide receiver, basically the entire time. Like they, they play three wide receiver more than any other team in the league. And the fact that you don't have five or six, I preferably would like to have six good defensive backs against this team, to be honest with you, that you could play dime. They can't play dime. I don't think in this game, I don't think they're going to have the bodies or the horses. They're probably going to elevate Sean Davis from the practice squad. I assume D'Angelo Ross will also get elevated well, as well. So here's an interesting question. Cause I, I was about to ask you this as we wait, but yeah. this is perfect timing. We see Daniel Aquale elevated every week for the last four weeks. Yeah. Is it look, I don't, He's been good. It's nothing against Daniel Equality. This is not a Daniel Equality. So the elevations do reset in the playoffs. So no, no, no. But they only have so many, right? So right? They, they, they have COVID elevation for, for Mills, correct? And then they potentially get another one for Wade, right? Who, by the way, if is back in time, could play outside, but he hasn't been at practice all week, and he's probably yeah. not going to be back. So I'm going to roll that one out. So you're looking at if they get four elevations, they they should be okay, right? Yeah. And if Mills comes back, Mills comes back. You maybe don't need that extra defensive back elevation. It's if they have three, which is what it will probably be. If they have three elevations, a quale, and then it's, are you going with two corners? Which two corners are you going with? I think, then, you gotta, I think you got to elevate a quale Ross and Sean Davis. I think so, Sean Davis has actually been pretty solid. They've obviously managed his role significantly right. when he is up. And he's basically just playing as his own safety, whether it's split safety, deep safety, or as a robber or, or something like that. I mean, he's not covering anybody, right? You know, it's he's straight up zone right now. I think you got to elevate both those guys because I think both those guys might be in your dime package on Saturday. So night. the only thing I'd say is, how in, do the Patriots want Nikhil Harry on the field? Do the Patriots have any interest in right. playing Nikhil Harry in this game? And if not, they probably do because of the blocking, to be honest with you. It, it, that's fair, but if they don't, they need to consider Christian Wilkerson. Yeah. Because I and I, I would be all for that because Wilkerson was a fine blocker, and I I just I, I don't see a need for Nikhil Harry in this game. I don't see the Bills 
they took it as bait when he was on the field. When he was on the field in that last game, they basically defended the Patriots 11 on 10. They yeah. disregarded him and basically said, if Nikhil Harry beats us, Nikhil Harry beats us. I don't think you can look at that and see a spot in the game plan for that guy. I, I think you have to consider leaving a practice squad, uh, a practice squad elevation open for Wilkerson. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of different things here. I want to discuss with the defense against Josh Allen and get into some of the schematics here. I think that there's two ways that the Patriots could go about it. Now, I know a lot of people are going to want them to blitz Josh Allen. I think that that's a pretty bad idea when you have no corners. Like if you had your full complement of corners, then blitz away. I think that that could have been a strategy, especially early on in the game. Maybe you throw a zero at him that he's not expecting. And I don't think he'll turn it over, but maybe you get a quick three and out or something like that by, by running a zero on third down on the first possession or something along those lines. But when I look at the tape against Buffalo and when I look at uh, the tape that the Patriots have had against Buffalo, uh, there's two very distinct things that are key against Josh Allen. Uh, The first thing is you cannot give him a clear picture of the defense before the ball is snapped. If he can get to the line of scrimmage and he can figure out what you were in, you are absolutely toast. He's getting better at that phase of the game, the pre-snap phase where he can come to the line of scrimmage. Dable usually will give him some sort of motion or something like that to indicate what the coverage is. And he knew in the game uh, in week 16, he knew when they were in man and when they were in zone, he, he basically could understand it before the ball is even snapped. And that's when he's really dangerous. The second thing is obviously you can't let him run around like he did against, uh, he, he did in part two at Gillette. If you let him run around in this game, then it's game over as well. So when I look at some of the game plan and, and the way that they played him in week 13, I know a lot of people chalked that up to the weather and the and the wind and all that kind of stuff. But I actually think that they had some really good coverage reps in week 13 where I don't care what weather you're playing and there was nobody open down the field for him to throw the football to. Most of the time what I saw when they played well uh, against Josh Allen, it's one of two things. They can either disguise their zone coverage by rotating the safeties, right? So you start in too high, then you rotate into one or vice versa. The other thing that they could do is that they can have indicators that are man indicators. Like there's some key third down plays in that week 13 game where they motion a receiver across and he gets followed. Usually when a receiver motions and he gets followed, that indicates to the quarterback that it's man. But what the Patriots would do was once that receiver would motion, they'd actually then still play zone behind it. They would just change the zones up. Okay, you have my zone, I have your zone. So they need to confuse it. They need to disguise. They need to protect their corners and their uh, defensive backs by not allowing Josh Allen to see what he is in on every single snap. The other thing is they absolutely have to rush the quarterback with more intelligence and with more pressure than they did in week 16. And Belichick talked about that today as well, just that – fine line between not being too aggressive but also not just standing there and watch him throw the ball and when he said that line uh we you also can't just stand there and throw him the uh, let him watch him throw the ball i felt like that's what he's been screaming at the defensive line all week long because that that hit the nail on the head in week 13 there were so many instances or week 16 excuse me where you just see three or four guys that are just standing there watching Josh Allen uh, go through his progression and, and move the pocket and all this kind of stuff. So I, I think that you have to look at uh, this game and say that you need to put him in that trash compactor, right? The, the, the pocket needs to collapse at four points around Josh Allen. And 
our colleague Greg Bedard made a lot of headlines when he said that Matt Judon is hurting the team right now. And I think that Greg hit it. I think that that Matthew Judon is one player in particular that you can point to that over the last month or so has been making a lot of business decisions for Matthew Judon, right? Just a lot of decisions, rushing the quarterback, trying to get that get off and turn the corner and allowing himself to get blown by the quarterback and run past the quarterback. And then Allen can break contain Tua can break contain. So everybody's got to be smart about what they're doing in the pass rush. And I look at Judon specifically, and I say, take that, rip move speed rush that you like to do and throw it in the trash in this game like this is a a bull rush power rush press the pocket type of game this is not your spin moves your 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 rip moves your speed rushes around the corner none of those should exist right you cannot play that way in this game and if you do then you're toast like it's just that's exactly how uh, they lost in week 16 so i hope that the Patriots pass rushes buy into that because week 13, they bought into it. They played a pretty sound pass rush game week 16 and really uh, week 18 against Tua as well. Uh, an absolute disaster the way that they've rushed the quarterback in those couple weeks of the season and, and towards the down the stretch here. But how do you feel uh, about them playing zone? Because I think a lot of people uh, have concerns about that, but when you marry uh, the, the coverage in the rush and you make sure you keep him in the pocket and force Allen to beat you with his arm against zone. I, I think that there's, that's a way to beat him. I, I don't think it's, it, he can still make plays. He's still a really good quarterback. We're not, ta- we're talking about slowing the guy down, not, not completely shutting him out. Right. I think the other thing that helps with zone is you're going to have 11 defenders with eyes on the quarterback. Yeah. Where you might not have that man. So I, I think they have to kind of, especially with mills out, they kind of have to suck it up and play zone in this game. And I think I, you know, they gave Allen the middle of the field a lot in that last game. They were really focused on taking away the deep ball. And you saw kind of those Isaiah McKenzie crossers just eating Patriots up. Yeah. And, you know, Bill's fans are are, are going to need new pants after I say this. You might need the game plan that the Patriots use against Tom Brady in week four. Right. You know, or the old Peyton Manning game plan. We've talked about this where it's not enough to take away the deep pass and force him to check down underneath because that's what that game represented for Josh Allen. It represented growth. He didn't, he didn't make the mistake. He didn't take the bait. He didn't get impatient. He was fine just throwing the ball underneath and not throwing the ball away. So if, if he's made that, and there's a, there's a legitimate question, can he do that again? I think that's a, certainly a fair question, but you have to be prepared for him to do it because he's now shown you he can do it. And I think if that's the case, it's not about dropping back and taking away the pass. It's seven, eight players in coverage and daring them to run the ball and not just not just Josh Allen scrambles, like designed runs, giving the ball to the running back. Right, to sing it there, yeah. If, if you're the Patriots, the best thing you can do is is get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. Right. That, that's what they need to do. So it's easier said than done, but we saw them do it against Brady. We saw them do it against Dak, uh, you know, two weeks after that. Again, they famously used that game plan against Peyton Manning. I think that might be what you have to do. And look, it's tougher with a running quarterback like Josh Allen, but if you kind of stay contained on the end, you don't give him those read option opportunities. You force him to just give the ball off, let him hand the ball to Singletary 20 times. That's the last thing the bills want to do. I think you kind of have to trap them into that. Yeah. And again, you see, you see if they can go a whole game without taking the bait. Yeah. This is a, this is one of those games and in week 16, I think they really allowed Buffalo to turn that into a flag football game. It became the bills passing attack against the Patriots passing attack. 
and there was no physicality by the Patriots defense. There was no redirects. There was no jams. Uh, there was no press coverage. There was just allow these guys like, like uh, McKenzie to just run around the field and get to wherever they want to get to and allow Josh Allen to run around and get wherever he wants to get. The Patriots need to be a more physical and more stout defense than they were the last time around against this Bills team or they're in big, big trouble. Uh, and you look at a lot of the things uh, that they did in week 16 that you can just say, throw it out, burn it, bury the tape. Don't take anything from that game plan and start from scratch. But I, I really think that it's uh, something that you have to very much focus on uh, is with the zone defense, the zone disguising, the zone rotations, uh, pre-snap man tells, but then you're actually playing zone because I, I look at these matchups across the board, especially uh, with Jalen Mills out. And I say the Patriots just don't have the personnel to keep up. They just don't like if you, I think JC Jackson and Stefan Diggs uh, will battle it back and forth with each other. I think that will be a pretty fair fight, but you start to talk about Jawan Williams against Gabriel Davis and uh, uh, Bryant and Ross against McKenzie and Beasley and uh, Knox against Adrian Phillips. If Kyle Duggar can't play in this game or Knox against Duggar, if, if he can go, uh, these are just a lot of matchups that I, I think the Patriots just don't have the cornerback talent or the cornerback depth right now. Uh, to go up against Buffalo in a man coverage game. So I'm sure the Patriots will play some man. Like this isn't going to be all zone, you know, they'll mix it up and, and they'll do some different things, but specifically on third down, I think you got to mask it a little bit more than what they did the last time. Every single third down pass play in the last game was man coverage and the bills knew it. The bills were, you know, were all over it. And that's exactly why you see uh, some of those plays by McKenzie at the end of the game. Cause Dable started to dial up those crossing routes and the man beaters. And, and that's where you ended up. So uh, they got to be better and more diligent about changing it up and breaking tendencies of what they typically do and down and distance and uh, make sure that the bills have to react post snap to what you're doing. And uh, I just think that there's a very, very fine line uh, that you walk into. If you start blitzing Josh Allen, I think that there's a time and place for it. I think, that, you know, like at the end of week 13, they blitzed them, right? They, they blitzed them on the cover zero and the very final play of the game, essentially. And that was a good call uh, for the situation. Uh, but I think if you start to get too aggressive against him, I, I think that that's asking for a lot out of your secondary as well. So that's my plan for the defense. I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't really see another plan, honestly. Like if you line up in man coverage, you're going to get beat. Like there's no way right. that's going to work. So I, I don't really see another plan for the Patriots. Well, I, so I'll add one more thing to that. When Josh Allen throws you the ball, catch it. I think that's something this defense has been lacking in recent weeks. Yeah. I think it's something they need to do. So yeah, yeah the I, one thing I'd add to your plan. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stats out there uh, that support the fact that Josh Allen has gotten better at putting the ball up for grabs, right? PFF like uh, grades turnover-worthy plays, right? Not necessarily interceptions, but plays that might be interceptions or dropped interceptions, things like that, and. Uh, you look at, he's still near the top of the league in that statistic. He still hasn't completely figured out that not uh, not turning the ball over, but he has been a lot more careful with it this year than years past. And uh, something else that Belichick talked about today was his willingness to just take what's there in, in a lot of these matchups, right? And not, and not push the ball and force the ball down the field. Uh, so the Patriots have to, I, I think they really have to confuse him mentally and, 
get him to look at his man reads when it's actually zone and get him to look at his zone reads when it's actually man and his two high reads when it's single high and all those types of things. This is going to have to be a Belichick special. This is going to have to be a lot of smoke and mirrors because they don't have the talent to just line up across from Buffalo and play him one-on-one. They just, they don't have that type of secondary this year, this time around. Okay. uh, Let's move over to the offensive side of the ball here for the Patriots. One thing is very obvious about this matchup, Alex. Uh, the Patriots want to run the football. The Patriots yeah. should run the football. 73 carries this year against Buffalo in two games. They've averaged 5.1 yards per attempt. They've done a good job running the ball against Buffalo in both matchups. They're going to continue to run the ball. But my question is, do you run the ball early? Because I honestly think that sometimes they run the ball on that on their opening possessions in these games. And you get into a lot of third downs really quickly, right? Like you can't, unless you come out and you're on your first carry, uh, you start gaining seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, explosives right off the bat in the run game. I think a lot of the times you see first down run gains a yard or two because the team knows you're going to run it. Second down, incomplete pass, third and ten right off the bat, right? And you get into these uh, unfavorable down and distances. I've been harping on it all year long. I, I think that there is something uh, to be said for running the football still. I'm not full nerd yet. You know that. But the one thing you, that you're I would, less nerd this year, actually. I'd say it's less it. nerd. The one thing I will say is weather permitting, if it's just cold, they're going to be able to throw a football, guys. If it's just cold, if there's wind, if there's snow, that might be a little bit more problemsome. But if it's just cold, they're going to be able to throw the football. I would love to see them come out and throw the ball and be a little bit more aggressive on that opening script to try to get the lead. And then as you start to get a little bit more into the game, then you start to bring out the running game out of the, out of the garage. And then you close with the running game and finish with the running game, you know, pass to score run to win, right? That that's sort of the simplest, simplest way to put it. I think if you come out in this game and try to run the ball right away, then you're going to be three and out. I really do. I, I think that that's going to be a, a quick way to get yourself into another hole. Yeah, I, I think what the Patriots need to do, and we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, is in that Week 16 game when – and I, I actually already talked about it a little bit before, too, on the show – when the Patriots didn't have Nelson Aguilar. The Bills basically – and the Patriots, they went with a lot of condensed sets in that game. Yeah which I don't think is the worst idea against this defense because it just – it gives them less of an idea of what you're going to do. Um, I know, you know, they have a lot of good interior players, but those guys are going to be in the middle of the field anyway. Um, but they'd put Nikhil Harry out wide, or even when they went too wide, they'd go Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers. Bills are playing press man on those guys, and then it's 7, 8, 9, 10 in the box, right? And there was simply no concern for the Patriots throwing the ball over the top. They were perfectly fine playing man up on the outside, and that was it. And that takes away the run, and it takes away the the intermediate between the numbers routes, which are which are so so important to the Patriots' offense. That eight to twelve yard range between the numbers, when the Patriots are at their best, that's where they're operating the passing game, right? Yeah. Now, the Patriots didn't have Nelson Aguilar in that game. They also, for the most part, didn't play Kendrick Bourne because uh, he's he hadn't practiced all week. He was coming off COVID. Those are your two most explosive receivers for the Patriots. So if I'm the Patriots, what I do early is I put, I, again, condense it, but then put those two out wide, condense your other three, put those two out wide, and see what the Bills do. Yeah. Are they are they going to put, uh, I almost I keep saying Hoyer or Poyd. Are they going to put 
Poyer or Hoyd back? And yeah. especially with Aguilar, are they going to respect him deep? And is it going to thin that box out or not? Or are they going to go man up on the outside again with Levi Wallace and uh, whoever else is left yeah. and, and stack the ball? Yeah. If they do that, play action to go. Right. And test them right away. If they're going to cover yeah. you one-on-one man on the outside, test them right away. Because even if it doesn't hit, you're pulling those guys out of the box. Now, they might do that anyway. They might have more respect for Nelson Aguilar than they did for Nikhil Harry. It makes sense. But I, I, I think you got to keep them honest on the back end. I'm not saying they need to come out and throw the ball deep a bunch. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't touch, test those safeties. But you got to keep them honest. You can't be facing seven, eight, nine-man boxes again like you did in Week 16 if you're the Patriots. So in that sense, I think throwing the ball early just to show it's on the table is important. Yeah, if I'm the Patriots in this game, I'm trying to avoid third down as much as possible on offense because what the Bills were able to do on third down against them with the inside leverage, man coverage, hugging up on the check downs, really suffocating the middle of the field and packing it in on the Patriots, that was a really difficult spot for Mac Jones. I mean, on top of the fact that there was very little separation down the field and there weren't a lot of guys open, there were just a lot of tough decisions to make with the football of who was the most open guy on a specific play. And they really forced his hand a lot of the time. And if I'm Josh McDaniels too, and I don't know if this is a Mac thing, if this is a new receivers thing on the roster or whatnot, but I would say there has been a little bit more simplicity to the way that they're designing their passing game, meaning uh, the option routes, I haven't seen as many of them, right? Where they're truly on an option based off of leverage. Uh, this is one of those games, especially Jacoby Myers in the slot. You have to let Myers run off leverage. Like he cannot be cutting inside to an inside leverage corner and having to fight through Teron Johnson all game like he had had to in week 16. So they have to allow Myers to run some of those option routes inside where, okay, if the guy's sitting inside of me, I'm breaking out. Right, I'm not going to break into the uh, middle of the field when there's two or three defenders standing right there looking at me. I'm going to go the other way and try to hit it on the outside. Go explosive play hunting early on in this game. I'm not talking about airing it out. Like I'm not saying like go and, and try to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. But some of those plays that they ran against Miami, I think, would be helpful in this game. Right, you talk about you stacking the box against run formations. Well, get under center with Jakob Johnson in the backfield, run post cross, hit it for 35 yards to Hunter Henry against cover three, put Jacoby Myers and flex him out on that fade ball that he threw against Xavier Howard. If Jacoby Myers can beat Xavier Howard on a fade, he can sure as hell can beat Dane Jackson on a fade, right? I mean, that's, he's a worse corner. So throw him out there and go after that play. Try to flood zone, try to get up the field. Try to create some explosives. Use Nelson Aguilar's ability to clear out the defense and go up the field that way as well. I I just don't know if there's a formula for the Patriots to just sit there and run the ball the entire game. Like I know we saw that work once before. It was all fun and games. It was great. But I just don't think that's going to work again. So a guy like Hunter Henry getting up the field, a guy like Nelson Aguilar clearing things out and then opening things up for people underneath on those intermediate shot plays that turn into explosives. Those are the types of plays that I would go hunting for if I was the Patriots early on in this game and try to get yourself some lighter boxes, try to get at least the Bills thinking about your passing game a little bit more. And that way there, you can start to run the football as the game wears on. But I'm not a 100% confident that they're going to do that because every single time they come into a game, I feel like they come into into it with that old school 
we got to establish the run, right? We're a run first team. So we got to establish the run. Then you go first and 10 and the whole freaking world knows that Damian Harris is getting the football. Like, and I just don't know if that's necessarily a great way uh, to go about this in the playoffs. I, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be a winning formula against Buffalo. So I would love to see that. I love to see them try to hit some of those big plays they hit against Miami again in the passing game this week against Buffalo, but do it earlier. It took them way too long to open up the passing game against Miami. They, they, they really hurt themselves in that way. So here's what I'll say. I think they do need a, a significant dose of the running game because oh, it is yeah. harder. Yeah, yeah, It is harder to throw the ball in the cold. They do need to establish. And, the it's, and this is one of the best pass defenses in the league. So you definitely need to right. run the ball, but you need to pass the ball first to be able to set up the run. You want to run the ball more, but you got, I think you need to pass the ball early in order to be able to run the ball. Otherwise, I, I think Buffalo is going to be all over it. So the other thing, I, the, the one thing I'd push back on that is, and this is what we saw happen in the first game, if the Patriots offensive line shows up to play bully ball, which they haven't done in a while, yeah, they can sustainably run the ball without a heavy dose of the passing game. And I know people think that week 13 game was so weird. The win doesn't really have anything to do with winning at the line of scrimmage. Even that win. And this is, it, it's a bigger theme. It's not just about the, the bills on the other side. This has been the problem since the bye week yeah. that they were winning games because they were just lining up across from somebody and beating the piss out of them. Every snap for 60 minutes, just I'm tougher than you. I'm more physical than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm nastier than you. They were just a bunch of mean SOBs up front. Yeah. And it was working and they were running the ball behind it. It was excellent. And they really haven't gone back to that. And I don't want to say go back to it like strategically, like, we haven't seen them bully a team since the bye. Yeah. If they can find whatever that was, and it, it it comes back in this game, it comes back Saturday night, run the ball all you want. Because th- with this offensive line, especially, especially if they put Trent and Big Mike out there and they can get that mentality going, the Bills have, there's no, that is the one thing the Bills cannot answer. If the Patriots offensive line can be the road graders they were in October and November, that is the one thing the Bills have no answer for. Now, it's not a strategic thing. It's not like, hey, do this game plan. It's not be ready for this or that. It's a pure will thing. But if they can be more physical than the guys on the other side, that's the best thing that could happen in this game for the Patriots. The one other thing I'd add, as and, and this sounds kind of counterproductive because they have so much speed on defense, but it's a very aggressive defense for the Bills. They want to see this, the hole and hit it. They want to, they see their spot when the ball is snapped and they want to get to their spot. So misdirection reverses. Yeah. Uh, uh, counters. I think screens could be huge in this game. Josh McDaniels, if there was ever a time to empty the screen bag, I feel like this, like this could be an effective game for those kind of plays. Yeah. You saw the first touchdown of Damian Harris. They ran that fake it one way, toss it the other way type right. of play. And you saw Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano collide at the second level of the Buffalo Bills defense because one guy is going this way, the other guy is going that way. Those two linebackers are fast. They're physical. They're great athletes. They're great coverage players. They're good players. They're, they're not right. bad linebackers, but they but are you, you can, easily fooled. You yes. can use that speed against them. And yes. Bill's done this, you know, not exactly in this sense, but – Bill has found things players excel at and been able to use that strength against them before. Um, you know, one of them was, so to go way back here, Super Bowl 36, 
Marshawn, not Marshawn, because uh, I saw Marshawn in the chat. Marshall Falk was such a good cutback runner. So what did the Patriots do? They they took away the cutback hole more than they took away the original hole because right. they realized he was so he was defaulting to the point of finding that secondary hole that they defended it as much as they defended the price. So that's something where you're taking something a player's really good at and you're finding a way to kind of, you, you figure out maybe if they lean on that strength, how you can use it against them. I think there is a way. It's not easy and it's not a guarantee, but if they pick their spots and the right situation presents itself. I think there's a way that they can use the speed on Buffalo's defense against them. And again, that goes with plays like screens and ends arounds. And please, please, the pop pass. They ran it once. Lat, who did they run it to last week? Brandon I think it was Bolden. Bolden. I've been no. begging for the pop pass. Apparently they years. only think Brandon Bolden can. For some reason, they feel like Brandon Bolden is the only one that can handle the pop pass. I, I they bring I've it been, twice this year, both times to Brandon Bolden. I've been begging no for idea. the pop pass for years. They finally bring it you back. Have Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, who both can run with the ball. Those are the guys. Bolden's the guy that gets it. I, I don't. Aguilar, Bourne, Johnu Smith. Give me a pop pass to one of those three guys. Yeah. Okay, so I think that the biggest thing that I look at in this game, and I think we're on the same page. Maybe just got there a little bit differently. I think the biggest schematic decision in this game is going to come down to Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. Are they going to stick to their week 16 blueprint? Because they played a lot more man coverage in week 16 than the Patriots were expecting. I don't think the Pats expected that much man from Buffalo who Josh McDaniels will come out and say, is they, they believe Buffalo is a zone coverage system. They think that they are a zone team. They played a lot of man in this last matchup. I think some of that, like you hinted at earlier, Alex, had to do the fact that Nelson Aguilar was out and Kendrick Bourne had it practiced all week. So they weren't necessarily as afraid of playing man against New England had they had their full complement. But does McDermott and Leslie Frazier stick to that blueprint or do they go back to their usual ways of playing more zone? And then how does Josh McDaniels anticipate that? Can Josh McDaniels anticipate what he thinks that they're going to do or at least give Mac answers to both equations enough that if they do come out in man coverage and they play inside leverage and they play two man or even single high with inside leverage that you have two or three beaters in your opening script for that type of coverage and you can go right down the field like if you can run a a, a well executed play action corner route against an inside leverage man coverage defender like you're going to get a big play out of it you just have to call it at the right time. And that's going to be the cat and mouse game here is can Josh McDaniels dial up the plays at the right time and anticipate what the bill last time out, the bills dictated the terms to the Patriots. The bills came out in something a little bit different. The Patriots weren't anticipating it and it set the tone for the entire game. Can McDaniels flip the script this time on McDermott? That's going to be a really deciding factor of how this game is played out early. Cause I think on that opening drive of the Patriots, can get into that script of Buffalo from week 16 and be able to figure out some beaters against it, that they could go down the plays, the field with a couple of passes. And then ultimately I think Buffalo's defense will find, you know, water will find its level and the bills pass defense will start to, to dominate a little bit again, but then maybe that's when you can open up the running game and start handing the ball off to Harrison Stevenson and find success in that way. But at least you got that early lead off of having a couple explosives in the script on the opening drive. That's the way that I look at this game. It's a great cat and mouse game, I think, between McDaniels and McDermott. That, as much as this is about Josh Allen, too, I think that that cat and mouse game is ultimately going to decide the game because 
we know Josh Allen's going to get his. We know Josh Allen's going to put up some points. Can the Patriots match it on offense is going to be a big thing. Well, I think that's bigger picture that what this whole game comes down to. These two games that these teams have played so far have been lost by the, 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 uh, the relative team because the coach failed to make an adjustment. Yeah. In week 13, it was McDermott failing to adjust to the run in time and failing to adjust to the win when he, you know, he kicked the, the point after, after the Patriots had gone successfully for two and he left his team chasing points for the rest of the game. Right. So McDermott failed to adjust in week 13 in week 16. It was Bill Belichick failing to adjust in coverage on Isaiah McKenzie. It was Josh right. McDaniels failing to do anything to discourage the bills from putting 10 players in the box. Right. Or playing man. Yeah. Right. That's what this has come down to. It's come down to which coach has failed to make the adjustment. So whether it's McDaniels, whether it's Bill, whether it's McDermott, whether it's Dable, whether it's Frazier, whoever it is, like that has ultimately, you want to talk about what Josh Allen did to the Patriots. You want to talk about, you know, in week 16, you want to talk about the Patriots running the ball 46 times in week 13. The common thread between what's went, what's gone wrong in these games is one team was able to do something exceptionally well repeatedly. Repeated, because the Bills are going to do things well. Josh Allen's good. Stephon Diggs is good. They're going to do things yeah. well. The Patriots are going to do things well. They have two of the best running backs in the league. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league, right? It's when something goes well repeatedly, how does the other coach adjust to it? Because that's what it's come down to. McDermott did not adjust in week 13. Bill Belichick did not adjust in week 16. Those have been the definitive issues yeah. that have caused the, the, the respective teams to lose those two games. So yeah, that to me is what you, and, and this is where this is where it gets so frustrating in this matchup. Because I, I do believe ultimately, and I, I said this going into week 13, I said it going into week 16, I'll say it now. Ultimately, going into this matchup, I think it comes down to coaching. And that's often the case in divisional games, but I really think coaching's a big part of this matchup. Yeah. The Patriots should have a definitive coaching advantage. Do they against know? Buffalo Bill? They should. Belichick against McDermott, they should. Because as recently as last Belich week. There's no doubt that Belichick versus McDermott is as, there's no go ahead. As recently as last week, there were Bills fans who were saying McDermott's seat should be high. Right? They, they were. They were. The tweets are there. They're close with the Jets at the half. Anyway, the point being, they should have a definitive advance advantage when it comes to coaching. Should but they? that's they should. They why shouldn't they? They absolutely it's Bill Belichick. It's, yeah, Kevin. Get the hell out of here. It's Bill Belichick. Alex, it's it, Bill, Bill, but but it's not just Bill. Like, because Bill's not calling the plays on offense. So who would you rather have as your offensive play caller right now? Brian Dable or Josh McDaniel? So it's I, close. I I I trust in Belichick to the point where, and I don't think he would do this a ton, but I think there needs to be moments if McDaniels isn't figuring it out, he needs to go to Josh and say. I'm Bill Belichick. This needs to be done this way. Okay. But what, and let me finish. Who would you rather have calling plays for your defense? Leslie Frazier or Steve? Not well, close. So, so again, but again, this gets back to head coach. Not, but, close. but again, this gets back to my point at a certain point, Bill needs to be Bill. And I know we had this whole thing over the off season about is Bill too involved. And do people not want to play for Bill? Do people right. not want to coach for Bill? Right. And him supposedly delegating. Not now. 
No. If, if Now is when Bill Belichick needs to step up and be Bill Belichick. I'm not saying that any of what he's done in the past is fraudulent. That's not this argument. But what I am saying is, show us why it's not, Bill. Show us why you have the eight rings. Take the reins. If right? anybody, it's if time anybody to push everybody that, else to the if side. If anybody thinks that, that Steve Belichick has anything on Leslie Frazier, then they are sadly mistaken, right? So Bill's got to take the reins. You're right. You, That's what I'm saying. Bill, this is a game where Bill Belichick needs – if Bill Belichick can beat Bill Belichick, if we can get the Bill Belichick from Super Bowl 36 that held Peyton Manning in check, that came yeah. back from down 14 twice against the Ravens, that came up with the game plan along with Brian Flores in Super Bowl 53, if we get that Bill Belichick, the Patriots should be okay. But is is he going to – he didn't do it in Week 16. He had his opportunity yeah. to. He didn't do it. Does he do it this week? Apparently, I love the Bills now. Uh, you got me. You got me red-handed red there. I am a Buffalo Bills. I mean, fan. I was I was really concerned where you're going with that argument when when you, you hesitated on the Patriots having a coaching advantage. It's not about necessarily the head coaching advantage. Clearly, they have a head coaching advantage. My concern is more about the assistance, right? And I think right now, I probably would still take Josh McDaniels over Brian Dable, but it's close, and Dable's got the better quarterback. So that that's a problem, right? That that's right. that, that's the situation there. And then you look on the defensive side of the ball. I have lost faith in a lot of these defensive coaches for the Patriots because they've looked like crap for the better part of a month now on defense. And they got a bunch of guys out there that are making decisions for themselves, namely Matthew Judon, who is just running past the quarterback every single chance he gets and blowing the edge time and time again because he's trying to go after sacks. And that's a big thing that I look at with this team right now on defense. And I say. Everybody, it's not necessarily everybody doing their 111s anymore. It's everybody is 111, right? Like you got right. a bunch of guys doing whatever the heck they want to do out there. And there is no semblance of structure or plan. And, and that points to coaching. And I, I, I'm not talking necessarily just about Bill. And then you also look at it and you say opening scripts, right? First quarter. Right. Why are the Patriots so flat? Why are the Patriots always behind? Why are the Patriots trailing in games? Why are they digging themselves into holes? Because they're getting outscripted by the opponent. They come out against Miami last week. They face a bunch of RPOs by Tua. And it looks like they've never even practiced against an RPO when Bill said that they ran more RPOs than anybody going into the game during his press conference. So what's up with that? And then Brian Flores plays zone against McDaniels. McDaniels schemes up man all week long. And Mac throws a pick six on his first pass attempt. So I, I just look at some of the things that are going on especially in the first quarters i didn't even get into the special team stuff lawrence guy lining up over the long right. snapper blocked punts i mean all of this is just it's coaching i'm sorry i know he's the greatest coach of all time i know that he's bill belichick but all of these things are pointing to the coaching so unless bill took a step back for a couple of weeks there because he thought his assistants could handle it. And he wanted to see what Gerard and what Steve Belichick and what Josh McDaniels and all these guys would do if he gave them some more power and some more of the reins. And then all of a sudden it started to fall apart and now they can pull it back together. Then maybe that's the way that it comes about. It comes back together and they actually put together a good product on Saturday, but I'm, I'm still waiting to see it because right now they look like an undisciplined and sloppy football team. That that's, that's the bottom line. Look, you're right, and I think we've called a lot of these mistakes uncharacteristic. We've 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 clarified them as such. What yeah. I'm saying is, it's time for Bill Belichick to show us why they're uncharacteristic. Like I, 
well, I talked about this with Brady last year, right? Where Brady needed to push Bruce Arians to the side and say, I've got this. I know you're supposedly here to do a job, but I can handle this because I know yeah. better than you do. And it worked, right? He put Bruce Arians in timeout and they won a freaking Super Bowl. It's time for Bill to go to all his assistants and say, hey, guys, it's my turn. Like, go do whatever. Go, go in the corner. Go in the corner. I'm calling this game. Yeah, and I don't mean literally for him to go out and call every play, but I wouldn't be mad if he called the defense in this game. He Not should, one oh, he should 100% call defense. Yeah, 100% he, if, call the defense. Because when we saw him against Tampa Bay earlier in the season, and he clearly Bill wanted that game for obvious reasons. Right. And when they were over panning to the sideline, he had the play sheet a lot. And yeah. I don't know if he was directly calling plays or if he was just supervising the plays that they were calling, but that was one of their best play called game of the entire year. I mean, they're dropping guys off the line and scrimmage into low zones. Brady has no idea what's going on for most of the first half. Right. And then he started to figure it out because it's Tom Brady, but that was one of their best play called games of the year. Then they go against Dallas a couple of weeks later, it's third and 25 and they give up a first down, you know, and, and like these things that like these things have been happening all year long. And I, I really, it's I can't fathom or imagine that it's Bill Belichick because he has not lost his fastball. Yeah. I won't believe that. I so don't, that's, I, so that's what I'm saying. Is it's time for him to to prove that point and show that that he hasn't lost his fastball. This is it. It's right. the playoffs now. Yeah. It, now it's on. I get it. And look, I actually like that he gives his assistants high leverage opportunities during the season. I think that's important. I think yeah. it helps you know grow future coaches and all of that. Talk about Gerard Mayo being the leading candidate for for head coaching jobs right now. That's all well and good. That's fine in the regular season. I support that in regular season. Not now. Not yeah. now. Now it's it's the bill. If if we come on the, back on this show on Tuesday, and the Patriots have won, it's going to be we are going to spend the first thirty. It's because, or we are going to spend the first thirty minutes of the show gushing about Bill Belichick. About if the, the Patriots winning this plan. game. Absolutely, it is going to be Bill Belichick. We used to talk about you know. Oh, you know, yeah, maybe it feels like a bit of a mismatch for the Patriots. But, you know, there, how many Patriots fans said to themselves over the years, Bill's still the coach, Tom's still the quarterback. And I know half of that's gone. I, I get and it hurts. But I truly believe that was a 50-50 partnership. I really do. Bill's still the coach. Bill is still the coach. He's still the greatest defensive mind in the history of this game. And I think some people have forgotten that. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to remind people of that Saturday night. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way of putting it. I opened with it in the show on Tuesday. I opened with it in my 10 things recapping the Miami game. Their biggest advantage on their entire football team is that Bill Belichick is their head coach. That is yeah. their biggest advantage. Some teams, their biggest advantage is their quarterback. Some teams, their biggest advantage is Aaron Donald, right? You know, or whatever the case may be. The Patriots' biggest advantage is Bill Belichick. And they need that advantage to start showing itself again if they're going to win in the playoffs. Otherwise, Fired up now. we'll talk to you on Tuesday and we'll recap the season and we'll talk about all the, the uh, bouquets we can throw Mac Jones's way for his rookie year. And maybe we'll do a show on uh, off-season needs and how they fill holes and start talking draft and all that stuff. If Bill Belichick comes out and coaches like Bill Belichick, then we might be talking about the Tennessee Titans, right? I mean, that that's the hope. Yeah. That's the yeah. hope. All right, before we sign off, that that was as fired up. I, as I have the chills now. That's see, that's old school Patriots football right yeah. there. Get behind Bill Belichick and get through a brick freaking wall. That's what this team's been missing for the last month. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about here is 
sort of Patriots related, Patriots adjacent, uh, what's going on in Houston right now? I wanted to hit on this really quickly, Alex, if we could. Uh, yeah. The Texans fired David Culley, first and foremost, total BS, right? Really lowbrow type of move to fire a guy after one season. Shocking from that organization. Lame duck, though. We knew he was getting fired. We knew he yeah. wasn't the long-term answer. Everybody said that. But now we have two different reports, one from Aaron Wilson, who used to write for the Houston Chronicles, really plugged in down there, and one from Adam Schefter himself, linking Patriots' current and former assistants to the job, which is obvious with Nick Casario running the ship. Now the question really doesn't, to me, isn't that is Casario going to pluck from the Belichick coaching tree? It's which coach Casario is going to pluck from the Belichick coaching tree. So uh, Wilson had to report that Flores would be a top candidate. Schefter had to report that Gerard Mayo would be a top candidate. I would assume that there will be some sort of conversation with Josh McDaniels. I mean, those two go way, way back all the way uh, to John Carroll University in the late 90s. So at some point in time, I feel like maybe uh, there will be some sort of conversation with McDaniels about that opening as well. But where do you see this settling? And if it is Gerard Mayo, do you see that as a concern for the Patriots moving forward? So all right, I feel a couple different ways about this. Reportedly, Deshaun Watson had Miami on the top of his list because he wanted to play with Brian Flores or play yeah. for Brian Flores, right? If Flores... If hiring Flores gets you back Watson, that's right. the hire, and you don't even talk to anybody else. If you can keep Deshaun Watson, you hire Brian Flores, end of conversation. Yeah. Now, the flip side of that is, if I'm Flores or Mayo or anybody, well, specifically Flores, if I'm Flores, because Flores is going to have opportunities. I think he's been named as a favorite in Chicago. Um, I think somebody said Denver was into the idea of hiring him, right? Yeah. If Deshaun Watson's not coming back and Flores can go be a head coach elsewhere, if I was him, I would tell Houston to go F off. Yeah. I I think unless Watson's coming back, which Flores is the only coach realistically that would make sense for, right? That's the worst opening on the market now. And I think there's eight. Are there eight head coaching openings, seven or eight? Houston's the worst one on the market, Right. Yeah, They don't have picks, and maybe they get picks when they trade Watson. Who knows? But his value's tanked after sitting out a year. So they don't have picks. They don't have a quarterback. There's no quarterback in the draft this year. And ownership just showed you they're perfectly fine. How dare you say that Houston does not have a quarterback when Davis Mills is staring at your face, Alex? How dare you? Evan, you're going to put your livelihood in the hands of Davis Mills? You like so, him that much? No, but I will that, say. All right, so that's, that's, that's the discussion. Go finish your point, discussion. and then you go ahead. That's the discussion. You're not putting your livelihood. Well, so here's the thing. Do you trust Davis Mills to get you to the playoffs? No. So that's my point. Look, if, if ownership had just cut bait with Cully, I would say fine. But that's the third part of that, which make, what makes it such an unattractive job is ownership just showed they're, they'll want to done you. They'll want it done you if you don't do what they want. Right. And the opportunity to add that quarterback outside of Deshaun Watson coming back probably doesn't exist this year. So you have to go into that job thinking you have to succeed right away. And can you succeed right away if you can't get the quarterback? So the difference it, is not to mention how far away the rest of the roster is. Like that roster right. is more than a year away from competing. I think their so, defense is in more shambles than their offense is, quite frankly. I I, I mean, overall, it's bad. Overall, it's yeah. bad. So to me, that is the least attractive job out there right now. If you're 
I think if you're um, Brian Flores and you can get Deshaun Watson back, that changes all of that. And in that case, it makes sense. Right. If I'm Gerard Mayo, it sounds like Mayo could have other offers. Much rather be in Chicago with Justin Fields and that sure. ownership, which has been very patient historically, right? Um, you know, to, you only get so many chances to be a head coach. If yeah. Houston's your only opportunity to get there, you take the job. I don't think it's going to be the only opportunity for Gerard Mayo or Brian Flores. And I just, I think it, who the next coach there, like Cully, is ultimately going to end up being a sitting duck. I think it ends poorly. I don't want that mark on my record. And if you're McDaniels, this is your last chance. You can't afford to have it go poorly. So you talk about, you know, obviously Casario and Jack Easterby are targeting Patriots assistants. How much of that is they want to keep it in the family and they want to hire a former Patriots guy versus how much do they have to? How much of it is those guys are their best shot at getting a quality coach because any coach worth the damn who isn't friends with them isn't going to give them the time of day. I think it's more that I think that's more the case. That's become such a dumpster fire that I don't think you're going to get a quality coach to take that job right now. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, I agree with a lot of what you said about the situation in Houston, but I think the biggest thing, if you're Brian Flores, if you're Gerard Mayo, uh, that you learn about the situation in Miami with Flores, especially as an African-American coach is that relationships is pretty much the only key for you because it's not going to matter. Ultimately, uh, look, Brian Flores went down in Miami, had two winning seasons, won 10 games this year with the Dolphins, got fired. So ultimately the reason why Brian Flores got fired is because he couldn't get along with, with Chris Greer and Steven Ross and play friendly in the sandbox. So when I look at this, I say, okay, at least when I go to Houston, if I'm Flores or if I'm Mayo, I'm teaming up with Easterby and Casario and we're, we're the type we're either going down with the ship together or we're making this work, right? There's no, right. there's really no middle ground because they'll, they'll give Mayo or they'll give Flores two or three years, but that's also as long of a leash as they're going to give Casario and Easterby as well. Right. So to me, that's the difference is that, you know, the relationship and you, you know, the guys, and you know that that's the way that you're going to go. You're either going to go down with the ship or you guys are going to succeed. There's probably no middle ground there. The other thing I would say, and maybe it doesn't factor in quite as much with the defensive coaches uh, that the Patriot, uh, pa- former Patriots assistants, current, you know, Flores, Mayo, those guys. But there was a lot of love in the Patriots building for Davis Mills. I, I'm not lying to you when I say that. And I think that if their draft had gone differently, and let's say uh, somebody had picked Mac in the top 10, let's say San Francisco picks Mac Jones, or if Micah Parsons was available when the Patriots were to pick at 15, we could be talking about Davis Mills as a Patriots quarterback right now. And well, we'd also be doing our offseason preview show right now. If that had no doubt. I'm just saying that there was some people in the building that did like what they saw out of Davis Mills in college and thought that he had tools that they could work with. So if Mayo believes a little bit in Davis Mills, I could see that going that way too. And you obviously mentioned the Flores angle with Deshaun Watson as well. My point is, is that whether it's Chicago, uh, any of these other openings, you are not guaranteed the stability in terms of the relationships and the people that you're going to work with like they would if they went and worked with their guys in Casario and in Easterby. It's just a different vibe than doing that 
but I would say you have Elliot Wolf interviewing. Was it in Denver or Chicago? Um, there are other Patriots guys elsewhere, right? Yeah, and I think they, there there's are. a connect. There's a connection in Minnesota, I think, or a potential connection in Minnesota. Kellen Mond's another guy they were high on in the draft. So I think everything you can get, like I, they're fair points, but I think everything you can get in Houston, you can potentially get in other openings that just aren't absolute shit shows. Like yeah. I just. I, I wouldn't want my name tied to the current iteration of the Houston Texans. I, I, I get the, I get it. I you get maybe it. get more short-term stability, but okay. So you, you know, you'll get at least two years. You're not going to have a quarterback for those two years. You fail to win eight. Ga- you're in a good division too, by the way, you fail to win games. Now, all of a sudden your name is tied to that mess and you got to go out and get another job. Like I just, I wouldn't want to be involved with the Texans right now. Fair enough. I just think that if you're Brian Flores, you have to look at that situation and you got hired by Miami and you thought Chris Greer was going to have your back, right? You thought that you guys were a package deal and you were going to figure it out together and you were going to work the rebuild together. And then Chris Greer turned his back on him and, and got him fired essentially See, in so Miami. So I, the other I think about that. Brian Flores, I'm really careful about the executive that hires me, not necessarily like, you know, the situation and the in the personnel and the team you're going to, that's obviously a factor too. But you got to be really careful about the organization and who's in charge and who's responsible for your job. Because I think that he thought that he had a lot more stability and a lot longer leash in Miami, and he got the rug pulled from underneath him. And I think that that was a surprise firing for Flores. But, but why did that happen? It was ultimately instability at the quarterback position. Yeah. So sure. I think if you're, you can go somewhere where maybe either the quarterback position is more stable or at least like, Denver, for instance, right? I wouldn't say the quarterback position in Denver is stable, but yeah. I don't think every you, well, if it, you go to Denver, you know that you know what it is. from Green Bay might be coming. So, well, so or, or whatever, you know, you need a quarterback. I think everybody's on the yeah. same page, and I don't think Flores would make a mistake like Tua again. Like, supposedly, he was against that pick from the beginning. Like, right. I don't think that mistake gets made again. So, Miami was a unique situation to me, and I get the issue of you know African American coaches having trouble you know, kind of, you know, with the relationship thing, like you, you put it better. I'm, I'm searching for the words here, but yeah, um, I think to, to an extent, Miami was a unique situation where it's just a perfect storm of awful. Well, I also think in Miami that Stephen Ross thinks that everybody else is the problem when re- in reality, the problem is Stephen Ross, right? Like he, right. he, he looks at it and he says, Oh, well, Brian Flores, like we got Jalen Waddle and Devonte Parker and Xavier Howard. And we sell all these jerseys because all these guys get drafted on your fantasy team. You know, everybody's picking Waddle first round next year. Haven't you heard? How do we only have 10 wins and we're out of the playoffs? Right. Like that's, that's the way that Steven Ross looks at it. He's not looking at it as building an organization and building a team and building an operation. And I, I always come back to with these coaching firings is something that Bill Belichick said two, two decades ago which was even though they won the Super Bowl in 2001, he didn't feel like it until 2003 that he had really laid his roots of the program that he wanted in right. New England. So it took Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, three years to lay a foundation for sustainable success. And these people are just pulling the cord on these coaching hires so quickly. And Brian Flores gets better and better every single year and is – a Tua figuring out his hip or getting a better quarterback away from being a much better football team. That's a very desirable quarterback offense. Like got receivers, got playmakers there. You have like, 
that's a really good pass catching group. Waddle, Parker, Gasicki, like those are good players to throw the ball to if you're a quarterback. So, like, I, I just it drives me nuts that they have zero patience with these hires. And I think Flores speaks to that greatly. But yeah, I want to touch on the Houston stuff. Um, glad we we talked about that. And the chat, Alex has gotten off the rails, just absolutely off the rails. Now yeah, those animals are here again. Yeah, now we're saying that Davis Mills is better than Mac Jones. So uh, we are in complete la la land at, at this point in the in the chat. But we want to thank you all uh, for joining us here tonight and watching uh, the show all season long. If this is it for the Patriots. Uh, we will obviously have you covered all off-season long. We're not going anywhere. We're going to keep pumping out shows, keep pumping out content. We'll do all off-season stuff uh, all the way through until training camp and keep this train rolling. So don't go anywhere, even if the Patriots are eliminated on Saturday night. But I do hope, and this is maybe more of a hope and a prayer than an actual thought, but I do hope that we are talking about Tennessee, I suppose, uh, next week, unless somehow Pittsburgh upsets Kansas City, which I don't think is happening. Uh, I do hope that we're talking about the Titans, but if we aren't, uh, then nobody, and I say this with as much humility as I possibly can, but nobody's going to have better draft coverage than Patriots beat. I guarantee you that. Alex already knows everything that he's going to say. I'm the one that has to I'm ready. To, I'm ready to do a mock draft on Thursday if you want. Yeah, I promise you that nobody's going to have better draft coverage than we do, and we are going to give you uh, all the names, all the prospects, all the scenarios, all the uh, needs, all the wants, everything that you're going to want out of your draft season is going to be right here on Patriots beat. So we'll see you on Tuesday for either a post-mortem and a season recap show or moving on to the Tennessee Titans. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.